got a beard and it's looking something fierce Having beers with my peers and talking rap careers Reflecting on the years, connecting on the tears Shipwreck faith ain't always as appears I'm bringing you fresh music, I'm bringing fresh ideas I'm bringing you the dudes in the indie music beers Chilling at the shows and talking about the pain With people who learned how to face it and be sane Sipping on a brew, doing interviews No topics off the table but we focus on breakthroughs So kick up your feet, we're gonna put it in check You're listening to bruise beards and shipwrecks Views for your ears to hear. One, two, one, two, a mic check. Stone bands, Royal Ruckus on the scene. Just to announce. We got the brews, we got the beards. Tasty interviews for your ears to hear. Alright, welcome to this episode of Brews, Beards, and Shipwrecks. This is Chun Jay from Royal Ruckus, also known as Jamie Bennett, and I am here with David Bunker. How you doing, David? I'm doing good. Doing good. Yeah, so we're, we're sitting here in Tennessee. We are at the Henry Horton State Park. Yes. Been here before? Uh, I think one time, but I think there might be another Henry Horton, so it might have been another mm. section of the, but I uh, I love this part of Tennessee. That's gorgeous. Yes, it That's is. Gorgeous. We're, we're what, like, an, how far away from Nashville? About 45 minutes. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Um, what are we doing here? You mean here? Why, uh, why are we here? <laughs> at Henry Horton? Yeah. <laughs> well, there's a men's uh, retreat. Uh, it's, it's around uh, sexual sobriety and, and uh, healing and restoration. And being the men that we are, we, <laughs> we know that uh, sex is a gift yeah. or a curse, right. <laughs> depending upon how you handle it. So I'm here to, to learn and, and to be loved on and encouraged. Yeah. yeah. We've, we've had several sessions, and it's been amazing. I mean, there's... 60, 65 guys or something here. Yeah, um, of all ages. Yeah. All races. Yeah. It's, it's pretty amazing. And, you know, I, I'm not going to tell any of the stories here, but just to hear people share their journey and look at it, hear it, and go, that sounds a lot like my story. Yeah, I, there's a palpable sense of humility that I don't see in other section, cross-sections of my encounters with people. And I think it's there's something about when people all admit that this is a part of their life that needs restoration of some kind. There's a commonality that's uh, it's a posture even. It's easier to talk about. Of course, we're all agreed. In some ways, we've agreed because we're here this weekend. But uh, I find it refreshing because I can kind of relax. I don't have to project my persona. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, and that, that's the thing, too. I think, like, um, so... You know, I've been get, as you know, I've been getting back into the music world. Uh, I kind of stepped away for a little while, and it's by design a performance lifestyle. And and of course, I used to be an elementary school teacher, which also is a type of performance. Mm-hmm. And it's when, I know so many people that like they have a stage persona, and it's well developed, and it's different than than who they really are. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. No, but to walk into a room with men who are actively trying to just be themselves. Yeah. It's, it's almost a weird feeling. Well, I, I, I believe that authenticity is, uh, in an age of simulation, which is so easy to acquire these days because, you know, everything's smoke and mirrors, it's yeah. almost like uh, our natural authentic 
authenticity. If you travel overseas, you, you encounter people who aren't brought up in the simulacrum, if you will, the yeah. simulation, yeah. and you realize how they're happier, they're more present, uh, they're more affectionate, and you begin to realize maybe maybe post-modernity and consumption is not the best thing for the soul. Yeah. So to your point, when I'm around people who are authentic to the degree that they can yeah. know and speak it, it is, yeah. it's refreshing. I've, I've got a... Um you know, I've got a small audience, but a fairly diverse audience. Can you explain uh, what you mean by post-modernity and, and how that affects this authenticity or lack thereof? Well, I think I think we've come out of, you know, we always, I grew up in the, you know, 60s and 70s where you'd hear things like, let's try to be more modern. You know, modern is like what science can do and what business can do, and we'll put a person on the moon and... We were kind of in that era where science and reason and logic were preeminent. Yeah. And so uh, that was moving out of other periods of time where supposedly we weren't honest about reality and about how life yeah. really was. Well, what we really didn't understand is, of course, modernity brought in a narrative about consumption, business, you know, uh, therapy. Uh, you know, therapy defined the human personality, and uh, there's great stuff about therapy. It's inherent, but there's tons of goofy stuff. Sure. Well, postmodernity, in many ways, it, it's happened so quickly, if you will. You know, some would contend that we've been in a modern state since, you know, uh, you know, the 1600s or 1700s or something. But postmodernity is when you start to see the collapse of science to answer all questions, the collapse of, of modern business to, to meet the consumptive needs. and. All you have to do is look around the world, the world wars and all, I mean, wars, yeah, you begin yeah. to realize, okay, so I think we might have hit the wall on like, we got all the answers to everything. So yeah. that's what I mean by postmodern is that we're much more fragmented now and there's a sense of cynicism and maybe a malaise of, sure. of uh, oh crap, what do we do now? Right. Do, do you feel like some of that has, has broken things down though, where people have a, a desire for um, something more personal? Or, you know, almost almost a desire for the transcendent, but in in a very personal, interactive way. What well, if I understand your question? I think yes, because I think people are very much aware of loss. They, 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 yeah. You know, your average person, if you say, "Is there something missing in your life?" They might go, "Yeah, I don't know what, but I I feel there's an emptiness." And so, so in a metaphysical sense, we are living through age through an age of what I would call of uh, lack. So yeah. what is lacking? Well, sometimes it's not stuff. So obviously the stuff yeah, wasn't the yeah. issue. So what is lacking? And I think that when you start asking those kind of metaphysical questions, they by their nature are spiritual. By their nature. Because they're yeah, like, yeah. well, what are, what are we here for? What, is, what does life mean? And if we, we, we would, if we didn't lack, what would that, that sufficiency look like? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that makes a lot of sense to me. We, we got uh, right in the thick of it real quick, and I didn't even bother asking who you are and what, what you're all about. Who is David Bunker? <laughs> uh, well, I'm, I'm a, a guy who is, uh, I'm in my 60s, which I have no idea what the heck that means. Meaning, I do know in terms of time, but I don't, sure. you know, the ageism, I do it on myself probably. But I mean, I've lived a full life, and so now I'm asking myself in the winter time. Huh, I wonder how I'm going to invest this last section, so to speak. Yeah. You know, the idea of not living forever. It's just hit me in the last four or five years. I don't, right. Maybe you don't think about it before. So I'm an older guy trying to figure out what is my legacy? How do I leave that? Yeah. 
um, I feel like I want to give back a lot. You know, in other words, I, was, I don't know what I have to give, but whatever I have to give, I'm, I think I want to give that back. Uh, and, and I think uh, in terms of job, you know, I've worked a lot in uh, the evangelical subculture, if you will. Okay. And I say subculture because sometimes it's not a, a cohesive theological culture. It's, right. it's, right. it's more of an actual you know, narrative culture. It's very different depending upon where you live in the South yeah. and North. Yeah. Um, I feel comfortable in that culture on some days and feel uncomfortable in cult- that culture some days. Right. Um, but I'm, I, I'm a person of faith. I, I uh, consider myself probably orthodox and in many historically orthodox in what I believe to sure. be the main tenets. Um, but I, but I also know that my faith is embodied. So it's really how I live my life more than what I say that makes sure. sense to people. Um, I do work at a uh, right. It's ironic at this point in my life. We're going to children's ministry. Okay. Uh, and uh, the, the disciples, kids, one day or two to 18. And I find that to be healing because I get to be around children a lot. And I find the older I get, the more and more children make sense to me because yeah. they're they're still very vibrant about life. I'm married to Catherine uh, for 41 years. That's awesome. Yeah. Congratulations. And uh, she's on the journey with me and scared as I'll get out sometimes like where are we going next because we live in Chicago now grew up in Chicago yeah and okay. uh, uh, I do like Nashville uh, a lot of friends here but more out of the creative community it uh, is because right, in right. some ways we met or I mean I know about your creativity side yeah. and I, I would say if, if I would leave behind a name I would I consider myself an artist okay. you know um, I write a lot of poetry or uh, uh, and essays and uh, yeah, I was going to say you've, you've written some prose I mean you've, yeah. you've written a number of essays mm-hmm. uh, do you have a blog or anything I was going to ask you that later but uh, I most right now it's probably just Facebook okay. I probably should do a blog but I struggle I probably need somebody like you to to encourage me in that because <laughs> I, I I do loathe the whole in many ways the persona the, yeah. but that's my weakness in other words yeah. I, I get how easy it would be for my ego to want yeah. to... See, I, you know, I'm one of these shameless creators, and that's its own weakness. And I've had a lot of friends, uh, especially in, in the hip-hop and music world, I've had a lot of friends that are incredible artists, but they're perfectionists as well. And they hold so tightly to their to their things, they don't want to put them out there. I, I'm the opposite to a fault. I create something, and I'm like, Get it out there in front of people. Get real-time feedback. Uh, I'm tr- I've been the last couple of years trying to find that, that happy medium where I do put it out there, but not before a refinement process and not before eliminating eliminating stuff that's just junk. Just because I made it doesn't mean it's good. Yeah. Well, I think that there's a balance, and I think I'm on the wrong side. I mean, I think I should do more, and I and I write. Um, well, if you went to my Facebook, David Bunker. You know, I, I tend to write probably a poem every other day, and I post them. Um, how good it is, I'll let that be in the, eye, or the eyes or ears of the person reading it, but I get the artistic process, and I do view life, I would say, aesthetically. Okay. I mean, through my art. Yeah. I, it makes yeah. more, you know. And I like Mary Oliver. You know, I'm familiar with Mary Oliver. She's a poetess. Okay. Still alive. Okay. It's, it tends to be, it, it's, it's kind of metaphysical meets mystical and a love of nature. Like I, I believe that we've, 
we've, we've tended to run away from the power of nature to be uh, indicative of the mind of God. And, and we've all, that's postmodernism to me, too, has, has made God kind of a, a machine uh, cyber answer, not an embodied uh, physical answer. I mean, I think God's way more physical because, look, if, if, if God indeed did create this world, well, why aren't we paying more attention? Which is why, for instance, the environment is important to me. I, I hear people go, oh, it's a hoax. I don't want to get into the political thing. I'm just like, sure. yeah. Do you pay much attention to the world that you actually live in? I mean, wouldn't you want to preserve that as a as a sign of uh, God's expression, whatever? So, Mary Oliver is very much a what I would call a poet of the ordinary, mystical ordinary. Okay. There there was a a wonderful book I found in a used bookstore a number of years ago, but I think it was published in the '60s. It was called The Wastemakers. And it was amazing how prescient it was for what was to come. As, you know, I didn't live through the period that it was critiquing. I was living through a later period where people were talking about recycling and stuff, but we were creating so much more waste anyway. And uh, it, it seems to me, wherever you fall on the political spectrum with uh, with environmental stuff, at the very least, we should all share a commitment to keeping this world clean. I would. It seems that seems like. Makes sense to me. Kind of common sense, I would think. And it shows you the danger, quite frankly, of things becoming politicized rather than uh, embodied. Mm-hmm. Uh, what are we drinking? What do, what do you got there? Uh, this is a Riesling wine. I'm, I'm, I'm probably more frou-frou than you are. <laughs> <laughs> I admit it. Yeah, I think I'm on the other end. I'm, I'm having some Chattanooga uh, whiskey, the 1816 Reserve. I don't know what 1816 means. I don't think they existed back then, but... Um, maybe they're mimicking a recipe from 1816. I, I don't know, but the, the Chattanooga Whiskey Company—I um, think they have a secondary name. But if you Google Chattanooga Whiskey Company, you'll, you'll find it. But uh, they make absolutely incredible stuff. Uh, I've been down to the distillery a couple times. One of our old mutual friends, Cassie Farmer, uh, works down there, and I, I popped in on her and said hello a couple times when I've been through. Tour, so it's kind of fun to to see her and pick up a couple bottles. Well, I, from what I'm I'm learning, you know, whiskey is an acquired taste, and there are a variety of expressions of whiskey. But you have to kind of dive in deep to make your palate sensitive enough to discern it. It's it's taken me a while. I mean, when when I met you, I was probably couldn't tell the difference between Jack Daniel's Black and. Evan Williams black or green and like those are pretty low bottom almost bottom of the barrel kind of stuff anyway and there's a whole different world beyond that I I still enjoy taking a shot of one of those or something here and there but worlds worlds of difference now you've been um, with a a group of people called Whiskey and Iron right right what's that all about Uh, it's it's another men's group and I, I have I wish I could remember uh, oh, there's one whiskey. Have you ever heard of Artist's Envy? Or Artist's Envy, I think. I don't think so. Um, great packaging. Okay. But we, we get together. I don't, I'm don't. i not much of a whiskey drinker, so I'll, I'll, yeah. I'll struggle through a couple shots. <laughs> and, uh, it, and then we just talk about life in general. It does tend to loosen you up a little bit. Sure. Um, but I think that they, they picked that name just because it's, you know... There is something about sharing whiskey that bonds men. Yeah, I don't know if yeah. 
about women, but it definitely bonds men because you tend to kind of go, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, when I lived in Tennessee, there was a wonderful uh, men's discussion group. I think it's turned into something else. It's still great, but now it's more like they have a guest lecturer um, and it's co-ed. But when I would go, it was a cigar and whiskey night. You could bring beer if you wanted. But the, the hardcore people would have, have a cigar in one hand and a glass of whiskey in the other. We would just talk about stuff, religion, politics, what, whatever was on the agenda for the night. Um, and the fun thing was at some point, especially the further we got into the bottle, you know, the more robust the discussion would be. But we always left friends. Sure. And, and, and we came back ready to have the next discussion, the next topic. Well, that's what's interesting about a modicum of alcohol. I mean, I, I don't think you want to... Uh, drunkenness doesn't tend to right. offer good debate. But when we do allow ourselves to be vested in our argument but not divisively so. In other words, I'm, no, I strongly believe this. Then you can kind of discern, like, wow, that guy's committed. That, yeah, that's yeah, an yeah. important idea to him. <laughs> Whereas normally you might not be that, you know, you might deliver your idea as, yeah. you know, kind of dispassionately. And yeah. yeah. Got my mistakes, I don't know about you. I have one set of eyes and my own point of view. I hold on to integrity. Now that I see there's only one person yeah. can take this from me. Got my mistakes, I don't know about you. I have one set of eyes and my own point of view. I hold on to integrity. Now that it's clear the only one can take it from me is in the mirror. A lot of things I am and a lot of things I'm not. A lot of things I planned out. Never carried out the plot. Never smacked a woman. Never been an abuser. Never used smack of meth. Never been a drug pusher. Never hired a hook. Never been an accuser. Written dope raps, I'm a wacky producer. Never cussed in my songs, but I cuss every day. Never been an agnostic, but I struggle to pray. Now I'm to play, but I've been divorced. A couple failed relationships, marriage endorsed. I'm a mixed bag of things, successfully broken. A failure and a champion, always in motion. I live by the ocean, once jumped off a cliff. Take a back, word spoken, I can't roll a spliff. I have my integrity, and I have my mistakes. But others two things that reach my domain. Got my mistakes, I don't know about you. I have one set of eyes and my own point of view. I hold on to integrity. Now that I see there's only one person yeah, can take this from me. Got my mistakes, I don't know about you. I have one set of eyes and my own point of view. I hold on to integrity. Now that it's clear the only one can take it from me is in the mirror. Yeah. I was arrested, convicted, thrown in jail, but remain free, my soul prevailed. God visits the prisons with his face unveiled Melt hard hearts like Molotov cocktails I never knew Christ's love like that Even though I was a believer from way back My intelligence reigned supreme But never seemed smart enough to evade devil schemes I read the word like it's God's freestyle But never remember the verses in the world's wild style I'm alive but never not dying Seeking the truth but never far away from lying I'm holy and set apart I'll never see me to stop stumbling in the dark As my misgivings always running amok I'm not many things but one I am is never giving up Got my mistakes, I don't know about you I have one set of eyes and my own point of view I hold on to integrity Now that I see there's only one person Can take this from me Got my mistakes, I don't know about you I have one set of eyes and my own point of view I hold on to integrity Now that it's clear the only one can take it from me would I ever pin a letter to the legend with a less than better effort? Like, whatever, man, it's clever. Never sipped a drop of water after trekking across the desert. Check the method. This is pleasure, pain connected on the record. Never. 
Never would I mother, may I ask permission? Man, I'm on a mission, you can keep the terms and the conditions. Never counted cost, I ain't a statistician. Never called my style free anytime I'm patting pennant. Sometimes I lack the vision, never see it all. Trouble climbing on me, never see the need to keep it off. Never held the notion life is easy, y'all. Never knew the loudest voice around was mine and he can talk. Never mind the never mind and check it past. Saw it slip away and never figured we could get it back. Never would I claim to know the point to you and yours now. Never say never, are you sure now? Got my mistakes, I don't know about you. I have one set of eyes and my own point of view. I hold on to integrity. Now that I see there's only one person here can take this from me. Got my mistakes, I don't know about you. I have one set of eyes and my own point of view. I hold on to integrity. Now that it's clear the only one can take it from me is in the I was going through a pretty tough time, and uh, you and your roommate at the time let me stay at the house a few nights. And I, I can remember some nights sitting around um, the dining room table, or even afternoons, sitting at the dining room table just, just talking with you. And one of the things, uh, you know, it's almost not surprising to me that you don't have a blog, because a lot of what makes Bunker Bunker is the investment you give to people in person and then in the time you you spend sharing your accumulated wisdom over the years. So I want to thank you for that and I trust that that is something you do all the time. I mean, it's just who you are. I, I will say I am intentional about it. Uh, I had a friend, um, if I described him, you probably would know who I was describing. It wouldn't be appropriate. Sure. But he, he asked me one time, he said, why do you, you know, when I moved up to Chicago, and I said, I'm coming back to Nashville, I'm spending two or three days. And, and uh, um, he has a home down here, and he goes, well, who are you going to, so well, let's meet. And I said, what time? And he's, you know, he'd give a couple times, said, well, I'm meeting so-and-so at this time, so-and-so at this time, so-and-so, yeah. and I would name maybe five or six people. And he would say, well, why do you want to meet with all those people? And I, I know him long enough to know that it's just like, I just kind of looked at him incredulous, and I was like, I don't understand what you mean. And he goes, yeah, you do. Why do you want to meet with all those people? And I said, well, they've given to me. Uh, I like to give back, and, you know, I want to give back in present, in my presence. In other words, that's the thing. And I, um, I have found that, you know, meeting with people and keeping friendships going is really, you know, it's a gift more for me than it is for anybody else because I get to have a history. Here we are again, you know, 10 yeah. years later, connecting, right. you know. And um, I think that a lot, of, a lot of people, the reason that we have so many psychological and spiritual maladies is we don't allow other people to carry our, our sorrow, carry our joy. Yeah. You know, I've been reading a lot lately about um, the impact of the lack of ritual. Yeah. And... Um, I realize how much ritual is in my life. You know, I mean, things that I, I do with certain men, mostly men, um, not that I wouldn't do them corporately or, or with women, but it's mostly men, where the ritual is, is in some ways our tacit agreement that we're going to enter the same space sure. to the degree we can understand it together. Yeah. It's, and it's a very spiritual thing. It's kind of like taking the Eucharist. Yeah. You know, you're going to take the Eucharist. What's that mean? It's like, well, the Eucharist is bigger than me, so let's let that ritual form us. So right. getting together for me is much more like an elder, you know, it's, it, it really is that. And yeah. I get invigorated, 
I mean, I don't know our age differences. I don't really think about that. Right. But it is obvious that you're at a different phase in your sure. life and your, your, your insight. And so I walk away in some ways with a, a broader uh, panorama. Yeah. You know, I look at it like it feeds my soul. Right. It's, it's not just me. And I don't have any, there's no financial reason either. It's like, they're not on right. payroll. I don't, I yeah. don't really. Yeah, yeah I, don't, I don't think you've gotten any benefit financially from spending time with me. I don't think I did. <laughs> like, yeah, tell me where the button is. I thought it was right. 10% royalty if I hang around with Jamie. <laughs> yeah, I, I think probably the glass of wine you have right there is the that is. biggest financial benefit you've gotten so far. That, that, well, that's, I need to buy you more drinks. <laughs> I'm all for that. Well, now, now t- take me through, in, you know, in a week, what would you, can you give me a snapshot of a daily or a weekly ritual that you might have throughout, throughout the week? Uh, well, I, you know, I belong to uh, a number of men's groups. One group uh, that I meet with, Crucible Group. Um, we tell each other our stories, we listen, and, you know, maybe... When we get together, maybe two guys will share their story. And I find that that's what really makes life come alive because, you know, in ancient cultures, there was a lot more storytelling and um, people got to have that story inform them. So some of those rituals are that I I will meet with men and and some of the meetings are very, I don't want to say formatted, but they are, um, you know, talk about a particular part of your life fill us in where are you at what do you desire what do you need and and when when the rituals that I'm becoming a part of cut to the chase it, it helps me then track my own humanity better because so many of the right. things we do at a daily basis are like we're working for an organization or for a, a company that almost doesn't know we exist we're just in a chair sitting by a computer sure. and so um and then uh, I, I co-write music with a friend of mine, and, okay. and yeah, and, and um, we're, in fact, we're working on a, a project called Postmodern Hymns. Nice. And uh, so the, the creative process is yeah, important. Do you, do you guys have like a set time that you get together, or you just make sure you get together pretty regularly? Uh, we just make sure we get together. He lives in another city, so he has to come oh, okay. by. But okay. and then we send each other electronic. I mean, you know, over over the internet, we'll send things back and forth, but. Um, I have to turn you on to some stuff. It's it's. Uh, I've just I've gotten more into more into this tent that we that the hymns at church are just not honest enough. Okay. And they and so you know. So you're writing these things from scratch. Yeah, they're okay. from scratch. Now, are you using traditional hymnography formats, uh, or what, how would you describe? Uh, no, I don't know. We don't use tra- traditional. Uh, I mean, the last thing. Um, the last song that we did, uh, I was listening to um, Randy Newman. Okay. She's a real emotional girl, you know. And and if you listen to that song, "Emotional Girl," it's the the chord chordal arrangement is so tentative and broken, you know. And so I wanted to write a hymn where the song was like, you know, here we 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 come to worship in our brokenness. We're just so full of greed and, and need, and that masquerades as need, and we're—it's yeah. kind of like a poem of confusion. And that is, Randy Newman's style was just so okay. palpable. So no, it's it's more pop, I would say. Okay. Yeah. Okay. But, but you try to bring some of those types of things into yeah. the song. Yes. Yeah. 
That's cool. Now, you've worked with a number of musicians uh, over the years, right? I mean, right. Have you, have you done, what, what have you done with other musicians? Like, mostly writing, or have you also done like, promotional stuff, management? I'm, I'm not entirely clear. Well, I a and labels, so which mean okay. I would go out and look. I mean, uh, Sixpence, None the Richer, okay. we, you know, the little label I had, we did their first three projects. Okay. Um, what was that label? REX. And we would do everything from hardcore, you know, yeah, you know, yeah. to, um, you know, there was a group called Argyle Park. I mean, we we did stuff yeah. that was like Nine Inch Nails before Nine Inch Nails was all that big. Yeah. And this was in not early '90s to mid '90s. Okay. And uh, now I'm not much of a producer. I think I'm too ADD for that. <laughs> but I totally, when somebody's good and I spot it, I I, I get who to hook them up with. Uh, we got the guy who was the producer of Ten Thousand Maniacs. And uh, he, he produced the first two or three projects. But then by the third project uh, um, of Sixpence, six yeah, uh, the lead guitar player produced it himself. And I realized, holy crap, this guy's actually a better producer than the guy yeah. from 10,000, in my opinion. Sure. So I've always enjoyed uh, the creative process. And I'm fairly eclectic, meaning I, to, to this day, I, I uh, you know, there's a new band... There's a band called Bombay Motorcycle Club, and they have a side project. Um, oh, I can't remember now, like Mr. Knuckles or something like that. But it's this, it's a uh, R&B, and it is so good. And you wouldn't have thought it coming yeah. from. And this, we're living in the era where, you know, um, you know, uh, Queens of the Stone Age, which is more yeah. of a '60s psychedelic throwback. Yeah. And that guy's in ten bands or something, you know. <laughs> And uh, I just think we're in we're we're in kind of creative renaissance times because radio's gone. So it's exciting. Right. Yeah, it's a really interesting time to be involved in music because the the playing field is different, the accessibility is different. Uh, which, in, in some ways, like the fact that anybody with thirty five bucks can get a record online, in some ways, I think that's incredibly amazing. Yeah, it is. In other ways, it's horrible and terrible. But most of the gatekeepers are gone. Yeah. Except for at the very, very top. You know, the Taylor Swifts of the world, there's still always going to be gatekeepers yeah. for that level. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, as of, as of right now, anybody can make it happen. It's, it's incredible. Well, think about it. I mean, I'm not sure whether Gnarls Barkley would have been around, but yeah. when, you, when you look at some of the things that have emerged in the last 10, 15 years, uh, that didn't fit any kind of prescribed sure. radio format. It's yeah. because radio has lost its power. Thank God. Yeah. So people can write whatever you know they want to write. And and, and 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 I'm seeing a recycling now, you know, of music that's 30, 40, 50 years. You're seeing a lot of return to real, real basic R&B. It's yeah. you know that sounds almost like Otis Redding. And you're like, wow, was that written in 1962 or what? Right. Um, now you've worked. A lot in, especially like Nashville is such a big place for traditionally for the Christian music industry as well as country. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you, but you've worked with a lot of Christian artists, but I'm sure they've all had slightly different takes on Christianity and art and how that plays out. I, I tire of the old, you know, is it ministry? Is it entertainment? I tired a lot of a lot of that conversation because I think we just go round and round. And, don't ever quite settle on anything, but I'm just kind of curious some of your thoughts on Christianity and art, particularly in the music world, 
how do they go together? Where's the tension? Well, that's a big that's a big question. I mean, I I, I don't want to speak for for everybody, but I will say that uh, uh, I'm very grateful for what I would call the Jesus revival that took place starting probably late 60s, much along with the hippie revolution. Yeah. And it did bust open. There were Cornerstone Festival. There were there were events very similar to Lollapalooza or Burning Man or whatever. Yeah. There were these events that your eclectic people could coalesce and they could come together. Yeah. And um, out of that, you ended up having, you know, Pedro the Lion, and, and, and oh, you yeah, know, yeah. You, you ended up having um, mortification, you know, like a hardcore, you know, yeah. band or something, and. That was just because people came to an understanding of their faith in the context that they were in. Yeah. So they, if, they, if they lived in Australia and they were part of a hardcore culture, of course they're going to write music. That's so yeah. it, was, it was kind of, there was an indigeneity to it. In other words, of course you're going to write music reflective. But then I think as that got commercialized and by the Christian music industry, much like the pop music, much like country, right. you began to like, well, if it's good, if it sells a lot. Yeah. But what I liked about the label that I had, REX and True Tunes and Rhythm House, if we sold four or 5,000 units, that was fine. We recoup our manufacturing, and, and, and that was how we kind of looked at it. And every right. once in a while, somebody would pop out of the, the, uh, you know, the club and move on up. But I think, I think much like the narrative of faith was actually a subset of the narrative of consumption. And that, that was unconscious to the people who were leading it because they were like, well, we're Christians. It's just like... Well, yes, we were, but this, we wanted to sell more than we wanted our faith to be proclaimed through our art. Right. Right. And so what happened is, is that as the consumption became more important in the proclamation, the proclamation got dumbed down yeah. and the consumption went up. And so now it's, it's bad art and it's trying to talk about God simultaneously. <laughs> you know, it's like, oh, crap, we don't need more of this. So, yeah. And I, think that, I don't think that's a... That's something that happens to evangelicals. I think that that's happening to any group of people that sure. you know want to uh, want for, the, for their art or their creativity to, in some ways, be sold to everybody, whether it makes sense or not. Yeah. So you have to sell more to the mindless purchaser, yeah. and so therefore the the art, true, the honest artist starts to go. I can't, I, got, I can't do this anymore. I got to go to other places where I can do my art. Yeah. This is what's so funny is that some of these people that were well-known Christian artists in certain eras, you know, they're more, they sell more records in Belgium or Germany or, or right. England yeah, or yeah. overseas yeah. because those cultures are not primarily, quote-unquote, Christian cultures. Yeah. So their fan base is much more interested. I, I think of a prog rock guy, Neil Morse. Okay. And Neil Morse has maybe five bands. Uh, he His drummer was from Dream Theater. Uh, and... Uh, and it's prog rock, but, yeah. but he has a band that primarily some guys from, from Sweden, he has some from Belgium, and he plays all over the world. Okay. And uh, the music lyrically is decidedly Christian, if you would read it, uh, and yet he plays no, he plays uh, all secular venues. Okay. So it, it, there's a, you can see now, I think we're at the end of the era of the whole evangelical Christian stronghold, which means yeah. it's becoming something that no offense to women between 17 and 40 but it tends to be more of a of a format for them to take their kids to soccer games in oh, the yeah, background yeah. it's no, kind of like a, a prophylactic musical thing yeah. that is safe yeah well I've known you for a long time 
saying music is safe is like, why would I want to listen to that? That's like, yeah. here, here, whiskey that doesn't have a bite. Yeah, yeah. Well, and, and that's, uh, you know, one, one of the ongoing conversations I've had with friends of mine, like, we've made a self-conscious decision not to say, you know, the curse words in our lyrics. Yeah, my podcast is explicit. Um, I usually watch my mouth just as part of the persona, but I even say on my record, I don't cuss on my songs, but I cuss every day. <laughs> and, and part of that is me giving a nod to the soccer moms that, like, I give you this much. I'm not yeah. going to cuss in my music. Um, at this point, though, at my age, like, I don't promise, I don't promise wholesome music, per se. But as, as a Christian seeking to lead, lead a God-honoring life, if I'm talking about something that's unwholesome, it's, uh, you're probably not going to find me glorifying it. It's going to be out of my experience, but there's going to be something about it that's not right. Right? Mm-hmm. And I, uh, I was excited to see John Rubin, the, the rapper, come back out uh, this year at the same time we came back out. Uh, now, he had a lot more success in the music industry than we did, but it, his first show in five years was uh, on the same stage where I performed at the Audio Feed Festival. So I was super interested, because I didn't even, until Audio Feed, I saw him on the list, I didn't even know he was, he was back. He has one shit on his new record. And when you read the lyrics, there's almost no other word that could have gone there. If you go to his Facebook page, there's this, that could have been worse, but a fairly explosive exchange on that and, uh, and I thought, gosh, you know, we haven't gotten past this. And I'm not saying that soccer moms should be putting Dr. Dre on for their kids, right? Like, I totally get why they, why the kids' subgenre exists. Sure. I get why they want safe music. I totally get that. Um, but as, a, as an artist, when you start catering to that, uh, I mean, I, I know I felt when we were in the Christian music industry, there was, there was a conscious push by the people funding our record for us to write more for middle school. And we were already pretty lighthearted and young in what we were saying, but there was there was a push for a double down. And when, when they pushed for us to um, specifically make children's music, I said yes as a side project. And then Mike said no, I'll do it behind the scenes, but it's got to be a different name. And I think he was actually right. You know, we, we weren't in a position to turn ourselves into a children's group because that's, that's a different thing. And, and one, of the, one of the things that I think is important, and we talked about this a little bit at dinner, um, is the idea of an overlap of experience. And you get a group like Sixpence None Richard, and I, I'm glad you brought them up because I think they did a good, they did a good job of this. Um, I haven't heard music in a long time, but it, it was Christian, but it was not, it was not ghettoized in right. what they wrote about. They wrote about all of life, right? Like life is, like, I don't know, I feel like the gospel is bigger than just asking Jesus into my heart, right? It's, it's not a, simply a private experience. So Christianity should be able to speak to all of life, right? I think there's a tendency for, uh, and I can only speak for the evangelical culture because I've grown up in it, so... My opinions are based on my experience. I think I have a right to say these, but but I'm not generalizing that they're the only ones that do this. But yeah, yeah. when you look at 
your lyrical source as it has to be Bible. It has to say something in the Bible. The story has to reflect a story in the Bible. Although that intentionality, I think, is warranted and is merited. You go to church, you hear a sermon from the Bible. Art is not necessarily a sermon uh, in the sense that, nor it should art, I think, be what I would call um, a moralization of something. In other words, when you take one word, where John Rubin uses the word, you know, one time, when somebody said, you know, he swore, I'd be like, well, let me hear the song. What's the song mean? You know, because yeah. we have authors all the time, I, I, you know, Christ, Christian authors. And I think that there's there's a, there's a real danger in becoming over, overly simplistic and moralizing yeah. rather than read uh, the deeper substance of, of what something is. And I understand words spoken to younger children and the appropriateness of being yeah. discreet. Yeah. But I think when you're dealing with adults, come on. Yeah. It's just, I don't, I don't need pablum. Yeah. Uh, I, I can discern whether something is uh, just a cheap uh, attempt to be provocative yeah. versus a descriptive of, of something. So yeah. I think you have to ask yourself in what the intent is. Sure, and that's a very good point. The, the intent and context. I mean, that's, mm-hmm. uh, I've, I played a couple of Christian shows um, this past summer. I really am trying to avoid doing that. I think the, the music I'm writing now belongs in bars and breweries and coffee shops where adults are. Um, and I remember playing my first youth group in more than a decade. And I cut two songs out. And it wasn't that I said anything that was technically wrong or something. But like, gosh, our lead song is called The Waitress Song. And we talk about drinking rum and coke and asking the waitress for a phone number. Like, that is just not what I'm trying to put in front of 14-year-olds. Right. Right? Like, 14-year-olds should not be thinking about rum and coke and getting the waitresses. But you know, you bring up something that I like. Yeah. When you play at a club or a bar, you assume that the people there are adults or they wouldn't be in that venue. Exactly. When you go to a church, by the nature of that building and what it draws, it could be a 5-year-old kid to a 60-year-old person. So. The venue does, in some ways, I understand why people would say, we don't think that's appropriate for our church. Absolutely. Correct. I get you. I understand it. And it's, in some ways, what we're seeing was, is that there was a period where a lot of churches would bring in artists, and there was a kind of an open window for maybe a year to two years where, you know, even the church accepted if it was in the basement. Right. Yeah. But once, you know, music got a little more honest and, and... Um... Uh, I'll take a water. A yeah. water? Yeah. I would like the yeek. A what? Anyway, it is set, setting in context and, and intentionality. Yeah. But I think kids, you know, I teach college age kids, and, and many of them eschew their interest in Christian music mainly because it, for them it is very packaged yeah. and predictable. Yeah. Yeah. And I think when you write to children, you do need to be predictable. Sure. Can be creative, but at any rate, I, I think the dilemma can be solved. And, and I also think, why aren't Christians more in the public sector, in the public sphere? Yeah. You, yeah. Uh, you know, people talk about evangelism. I said, I don't think what you do is evangelism. I think it's actually what you do is is, is really bad monastic chance. <laughs> Meaning, <laughs> they're isolated. They're, yeah, yeah, yeah. You need monastic chance, but like you sure. guys think this is evangelism. Actually, no. <laughs> right. Evangelism, you got to take it to the streets. 
Yeah, exactly. It's it's definitely a contextual issue, and I, I love that analogy of passing change. So, thank you very much. So now I'm drinking a Yingling. Uh, it's not my favorite beer, but it's one of my favorite on the cheaper end of beers. Although at a state park bar, it's still like four bucks. But <laughs> state right. state park bar. That that there's a song there. <laughs> right? I think that's actually a good idea. I should put that on. Putting the band back together. Forget it. Don't we? We're on a mission from God. Just leaning on the bar, mind on my own When she kicked up a cyclone At the brass tap, cast full box Just long enough to see she my type Out of nowhere, came a woman on a date She was slinging out sniffs, just handing out plates Had a way with words, had a way with pints Had a way with six ounces, board and flights She looked so great in her outerwear And the way she smiled, have my mind impaired She rocked that apron like she just don't care New edition Bobby Brown, button as a flare Satin rose, she was so intrigued And every word flowed smooth like she was singing Lisa, Angela, Pamela, Renee all the happy hours ramble away. Now I'm aware of what you do. Thinking I might take the cue. Few more minutes till I work the nerve to get the digits. Hey, waitress, I'm feeling butterflies every time you ask to take this. Order as I practice my lines. And this could be bliss. We sip on rum and coke extra lines. Oh, we could pop, Chris. I pay for bottle service with dimes. Just wanted her to see I'm cute, I'm sweet, I'm Chun Jamie. Mmm. Just called in sick. Now my sweet honey bee is a way to name Rick. Felt kinda ick, I was in for the dream. A little she and me, supreme type team. Wouldn't be a thing, couldn't scale relation. From tip to give her my entire vexation. Leaving little notes on cars, writing songs on my guitars. Clueless, those are useless, so my head is stuck among the stars. Now I'm aware of how you do. Thinking if I took the cue, few more minutes till I work the nerve to text those digits. Hey, wait. I'm feeling butterflies every time you ask to take this Order as I practice my lines And this could be bliss We sip on rum and coke extra lines Oh, we could pop, Chris I pay for bottle service with dimes Talking to the bar on Valentine's Day Wanted to make her smile, wanted to make her say This love person sounds just like a screenplay Quiet on the set, cause the talkers are here She washed it down with a pint of beer He's a kinda nice, I am impressed I said without thinking, let's be friends and kiss Please I'd like to try, like a chance for this Hold me hand five beers like a modern princess Waitress to ruck at a few easy steps Not how good you are, but how good you want to prep I fall for all the ladies working at the bar Service taking orders, counting tips and jars The only problem is it rarely works out Just another guy throwing tips and tips and stouts Swiping left or right and thinking I might switch to Sprite Few more minutes till I work the nerve to text those digits Hey waitress, I'm feeling butterflies every time You ask to take this order as I practice my lines
to the free. Cassie, Connie, Brittany, Benny. How about we rent a Lamborghini? Ashley, Alexis, Erica, Katie. Like to buy each you a brand new Mercedes. Robin, Rachel, Molly, Denise. Why don't we rock and roll in a Chevy Cup Priest? Welcome back to Brews, Beards, and Shipwrecks. It's Jamie Bennett, also known as Chun Jay from World Rockets. I'm here with Dave Bunker. And we have been talking about a number of things, but I just got myself a Yingling. And we're going to take a hard transition here. Um, I want to talk a little bit more about Samson Society, uh, just briefly, because I, I want to transition to New Adam. Can you tell me a little bit more about what Samson Society exists for, how you came to be part of it, and then briefly how that, how New Adam came to be? I know that was a very big question, both, yeah. both of those. <laughs> and uh, the meaning of life in uh, China. Um, <laughs> Well, Samson Society, I was going to Christ Community, uh, a Presbyterian church in Franklin, Tennessee, and uh, there was a guy there named Nate Larkin, and he, he had uh, written a book, and he, had, he was wanting to start this group called Samson, which is, in many ways, a, a recovery, like a, similar to 12-step recovery, but it's yeah. not, it, but for frame of reference. And... As a normal adult male, I mean, and I'd been in men's group up in Chicago. I'd moved down to Nashville. It, 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 I was, like, interested because it was in my church. So I said, well, I'll come, you know. I mean, yeah. and so I don't know how many, 10, 15 of us met one day, first time. And he read from the book, and he read from some of his ideas. And uh, it just started from there. It was just like that was how it met. We met in a side room, and, and we started to grow. Um, you guys were all just friends, or everybody just kind of knew Nate. He like assembled the group of people he thought would be interested, or it was a bit like that. I mean, it was a group of friends that said, "Hey, this guy named Nate's doing this and that and this and that." And, and like I said, I think any any guy who wants to walk in integrity with his sexuality knows that he needs some assistance, yeah. because we we tend to privatize sexuality and. A lot of ancient cultures didn't privatize it, meaning it was it was, it was, it was you didn't have that chance. But now, with the internet, especially, we, we can make that part of our lives private. Yeah. I would contend that sexuality is a very actually communal, meaning not that you have relationships with everybody, but that you're, but the nature of your life impacts the community very di- yeah. deeply and yeah. distinctly. So yeah, it was just more word of mouth, and then it grew and, and it grew, and out of that, after maybe a year or two. Um, a friend of mine moved down from Chicago, and we'd had a group um, called Metanoia, uh, and, and we decided, well, what if we started a new kind of, not extension of Samson, but much more of a, where you could tell your story in depth, uh, you know, where, because Samson, without going into too much detail, it, it, it is, it's very centered around sexuality. New Adam is more centered around a variety of narratives that people bring to the table. And uh, out of that, you know, we've been doing it for about 14 years, and and a few hundred men have gone through it. And uh, through New Adam, through New Adam, yes, yeah. I think 10,000 men have gone through Samson. Yeah, I mean, it, it's uh, it's grown, but uh, it's it's very much a part of my life. Uh, I, I find the men's movement part of the evangelical subculture to be that authenticity part, you know, because generally guys don't come unless they need help, and I I think faith at its core is really about uh, uh, what um, 
Simone Veil said, it's more about kenosis. It's emptying. It's an emptying. It's not a acquiring wisdom, so to speak. There is a wisdom to it, but the wisdom generally comes from the emptying, like realizing how much I don't really want to give of myself to others and, and so on and so forth. So it's, it's, a, it's been a good community of uh, support. No, I, I listen to, from time to time, like, success podcasts, and, you know, a lot of times they're, they're specifically focused on success in a career, music, or something like that, and there's a lot of valuable stuff in there, but one of the things that I've noticed in success conversations is a lack of vulnerability. There's a, you have to have it together, you have this persona, um, what... What are your thoughts on that? What, why would one want to empty themselves if if it seems like our culture is saying to fill yourself up and be impenetrable? Well, let's go back a little bit to whole the whole modern, modern postmodern thing. Okay. I think that the advent of therapy has deified the self. It's made the, the self and its and its expression and its advancement almost like the center of, of existence. This is what you do. So you have people go, what career are you going to go into? How are you going to better yourself? And what's happened is, is they've kind of taken, it'd be, like, it'd be like going to a herd of elk and taking one elk by itself and going, how would you like to be the most special elk in this group? <laughs> yeah. It's like, what? I'm, I'm part of the elks. No, 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 you're a special elk. And so what happens is this individuation, this individuality, yeah, yeah. it becomes religion almost. It's like, so everybody's saying, well, I'll, I'll do Jamie's podcast if I can get some royalties out of her, if it's really going to help my career, if it's really going to help me. I, I don't think it's wrong to think about who, who in your life is going to assist you and help you. Right. But if the center of your life is this self-aggrandizement and the using of the system, you know, to make a better living, to get ahead... You know, we teach our children, get ahead, do this. What happens, of course, is that when people eventually realize that they don't have everything they need to, to get to this place, yeah. or they realize that they're going to have to leverage everything that they have to try, they, they have no place to fall back on except disaster because they've been told that now they're a failure. See, yeah. you're not worth it. You didn't get what you, you right. know. And uh, so we've created a false scenario, okay. I think around the self right. and, and I think self is much more communal it, it's not just communal in the sense of um, you're meant to be a part of something bigger than yourself you don't become yourself until you understand you're a part of something bigger than yourself in other words there's a mutuality to it yeah. like I, I, don't, I don't come here and hear these stories because you know I have this benevolence that's just special to me no yeah. I gain the benevolence because I walk out enriched by it. So there is an enrichment, sure. but it's not a, an enrichment gained in isolated self-preservation. Uh, right. It's the opposite. Right. It's, 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 there's a mutuality, so it's win-win. Yeah. And we don't teach that in marriage. We don't teach that in community. Everybody's out for themselves. And how's that working? Yeah. It's not working at all. So right. we need new models, and uh, this, these communities do that for me. What's the, what's the phrase that they say in New Adam? One, is it one man's work? Is every man's work? Yeah. What, what does that mean? You know, going back to the elk thing. Yeah. Like if an elk could talk and, and they yeah. could say, I am a really unique elk. 
My hooves are just special. My <laughs> antlers are special. Uh, I can run over mountains and everything. You know, it would be ludicrous, and you would laugh. Right. Yeah. And when you realize that every man's story, in some ways, is your story, your experience isn't that far away from mine. I mean, you experience loss, you you experience disappointment, relationships, career. And so all these things that we're doing, they all resonate. So when somebody tells you a story, and especially if it's a story of um, vulnerability and admission, it now becomes a sermon in a sense. It's like, you know, it's like, wow, yeah, I can see where I'm dangerously close. This morning we went on a walk with guys. And one of the questions that came up in our walk with one of the guys is like, what? What part of my life am I in denial about? Because I think somehow what has happened to me in the past when I did those things, it wouldn't happen again. What would lead me to believe that I could somehow bypass that? And when somebody tells you the story of where they're at, it's a reminder of your mutual vulnerability. That I need to protect my brother and so he can protect me. And so that's what it becomes. It's, it's like, I got your back, dude. So... Safe. I mean, let's just get earthy here. Say, you know, like you're married, you have, all of a sudden you go to a club and a bar and some woman's like, hey, I think you're all that. And it could be a man doing that to a woman. Sure, so this sure. isn't what When you know a brother and you know that he's maybe had a few too many and, and he, he likes the attention, but he just doesn't understand like, no, this woman's going in for the, <laughs> for the kill here. Yeah, this yeah. is not like, so... I know brothers well enough to like put my hand on their shoulder and just go, hey man, let's go, let's go for a second. I want to tell you something. Yeah. And then I don't have to judge him. I just go, you, you might want to be a little careful. And it's like, why? And then, and then and you know what? The brother, because they believe me, is like, oh yeah, man, you're right. I wasn't paying much attention. It's like, no, you weren't. But how many times have we not judged people's intentionally properly, but somebody else in our life is? You know, it's like somebody wants to, hey, I'd like to sign you and your, your group. And you're like, dude, I want to sign one of those people. If you, they're, they're snakes. Yeah. So what happens is this community becomes like, um, you know, not always, but it becomes a, a protective mechanism to, to, the, to the preciousness of each person. You know, where you're guarding. It's like, I would guard you. It's like, no, I'm not judging you. I'm just saying, I know what you want, man. This is not what you want. It's not what you told me you want. I'm going to help you. Well, how many people do that anymore? You know, this is why marriages go bad and stuff. Because there are times when we just need help. Yeah. I need help. I need a place to stay. And we're talking about the Samson house, you know, building a Samson house where how many guys hit the wall and they have nowhere to go because their shame is high. And yeah. they could just come and stay someplace for, we all need that place. If anybody's honest, they need that place at least once in their life. Well, and that, that's the incredible thing for me. About knowing people in New Adam and knowing people in Samson Society is so many people don't know where to find that level of connection. Right. And, you know, they, there's certainly, uh, you know, I've been in relationships with friends where if I were in that scenario anymore, I've had certain friends that would have been like, you go, dude. Yeah. And, and encourage the, the wrong path for me rather than, than being that friend to look me into a, a better better set of choices yeah that's I think you nailed something there it's like when we're around people that hold us to our most noble aspirations those are our dearest friends 
Now, those people have, it's a mutual thing, you know, it's vulnerability, but well, I want people to go, no, no, you're better than that, man. I know who you are. Like, let's, let's wait for the good stuff. Let's wait for the good stuff. Because we don't, our culture doesn't teach us to wait for the good stuff. You know? And, you know, and, and there's disappointment, fear, too, these days of, like, will I have another relationship if one goes bad? And who will love me and who will care for me? It's like, well, you're worthy, dude. You're worth it. So let's just wait till somebody gets that. Not jump ahead. That one of the most uh, powerful things one of our mutual friends uh, said to me all those years ago when you and I I met. Um, you know, I was kind of sharing something from the darkness within me, <laughs> and, he, and he heard me and he loved me, and he just said, "Jamie, you are not that man." And it was like it snapped me out of that moment, and I. I've ended up telling that to other people when they sh- when they share something that's not that's not who you are. I know who you are. Uh, who you're called to be, who you say you want to be. Really, that's not the one. This race is not a sprint; it's a marathon. Know that you're not. You're not giving up. Not giving in. Not dealing with the what was the way you've been. You were not. You're not letting go. Not gonna stray. Not gonna get it your own way, kid. You were not. You're not gonna quit. Not gonna lose. Not gonna waste time. Segways, you know, we talk about shipwrecks. Is that what you think? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I believe that for me, my potential shipwreck, and well, and it was a shipwreck on some levels, was my inability to name, properly name, understand, and feel uh, what it was like to be abused sexually as a little kid. And, you know, men aren't real good about, our culture doesn't, doesn't encourage vulnerability. And what is the setting do you have to tell somebody, I didn't have any words for it. And then I got into New Adam, and, and we would do these. I can't say too much about New Adam. We try to keep some of our rituals sacred. But at any rate, I, I was encouraged to express my anger through a ritual. And I always felt wimpy at it. I couldn't do it. And one time a brother came up to me. Boy, I mean, I feel it just now. And he said, he said uh, you need to grieve some more before you feel how angry you should be. He said, I can be angry for you, but you need to be angry, dude. And he said, you're not there yet because you don't know how much you have not grieved. And then that's when it hit me. It's like, he's right. You know, I was trying to act like I was angry because that's what I was told to do. But the, the truth is, I had, to, I had to get in touch with how pervasive those acts had a, the narrative of my life, how it affected me made me afraid of people, made me standoffish, made me struggle with intimacy, and made me um, distrustful of everybody. I'm talking at a deep level, just distrustful, physically distrustful, you know? Um, and, and of course, it fed into some of my, 
weaknesses, like rather than than being a healthy sexual relationship, I would be more of a voyeur. You know, I mean, I would stand apart. I wouldn't. I didn't know how to be in my body because I left my body as a six-year-old kid. You know, and so how do you get back in your body? And uh, I've had to. I've had to. I've had to realize that uh, not going to that place and processing that was very dangerous for my soul. I didn't know it, but it was forming in me um, this sense of like, I was what happened to me. And we all tend to think that. We are what happens. So if somebody divorces us unfairly, if somebody abuses us unfairly, fires us unfairly, says something to us that's unfair, there's this part of us, the little kid inside, it's like, well, I guess that's who I am. And then we start making decisions that affirm that. And all of a sudden we wake up one day and we find that we're the perpetrator that hurt us. We become the person that hurt us. And that's pretty sick, but it it happens because we tend to believe those stories. And I I don't know where that's part of our fallenness. I don't know exactly where that comes from, but it is a human tendency for us to believe the worst in us. And to be in a community that can know your bad stuff, but also tell you, no, 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 that doesn't, that's not who you are. That's some of the stuff you do. And who you are and what you do is different. And some people would say, no, it's the same. It's like, well, there's, there's a connection. But when you start to be able to separate the two, you can begin to realize, no, I, I can be, through help, my most noble aspirations. I can be that. It'll be flawed, won't be perfect, but I don't have to be uh, that loser. Hey, love boat, you shipwreck. Hey, love boat, you shipwreck. Hey, love boat, I'm walking in the club like, um, excuse me, not you shipwreck. Hey, love boat, not you shipwreck. Hey, love boat, not you shipwreck. Hey, love boat, I'm walking in the club like, not you shipwreck. I did not know how much grief my uh, body carried and how much I had not cried. And I remember the first time that I like, really, really cried over what happened to me. Uh, you'd have thought I was having convulsions. I mean, it just, it, it, did, it was almost reserved. It was like I'd never done it. And so it was muscle memory and it was grief and stuff. And it was just, I, had, I could hardly catch my breath. And it, and it did not happen in a meeting. It happened in a song. Like, I was listening to some music. And, and that was the other thing, too, is I realized how important art is to me. It keeps my soul uh, supple. And I think that, you know, a lot of times, whether it's therapy or church or programs, you know, they're like, well, Jamie or Dave, here's how you get healed. And you try and you try. And I was getting to a point where it's like, what's wrong with me that I can't get beyond this? What is it? And that wasn't the path for me. The path was really more of what my deepest soul listened to. And since a little kid, I've listened to music. It's, it's what unlocks me. And I, I can't remember now what the song was, but I was, I was just at home alone one night, and I was listening to something, and it hit me. So I believe that there's something sovereign about that, too. You know, in other words, that was a gift. I didn't have to work for it. 
I'm not saying it always comes like that, but that's how it did for me. Yeah. And then it's and it started to soften me up, and then I, I found for about six months I'd cry indiscriminately, like I'd cry at work in my desk by myself. It was like, you know, kind of like I had indigestion, and it was like get it a little more out, you know, like uh. <laughs> right. And I'd cry again, and I'd cry again, and it was just like my body saying, "You've reached the threshold, and we are now going to let it happen." Right. And so within, oh, I would say two months, I, I had realized it softened me up so much because I now thought I need to be protected to myself, but not the way I was protecting myself, you know, which was more of a defensive protection. Okay. Now it's more of a, a, a protect myself by believing what's beautiful about me, what's beautiful and true, and not what's dark and hidden. And that's the goal to me of a lot of these men's movements or even any kind of forward disclosure of the soul it's it's like bring it out of the light yeah you know let other people hear it yeah. and boy when you let other people hear it, and not, so i started to describe what happened you know and that then i did start to get angry okay then the anger came okay i was wondering if it would come back oh it came back because but I, before see i was trying to be angry so that people would say yeah he's working on it he I wasn't really, you know, I wasn't angry in the sense that I was sad enough to realize, do you realize how it affected me? Because I really believe sometimes people want a miracle. Like, I'd like to jump over how something affected me so that it doesn't affect me anymore. Well, good luck on that. In other words, if you break your leg, you break your leg. What happened to me happened. And it definitely did scar me. But there's, this is where I think Christianity, what Christianity is for me. Christianity to me is redemptive transformation. It's, 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 a, it's not glossing over. It's like, no, here's a look at what you, who you are from the foundations of the earth and what you're becoming. This is why eternity to me is kind of a concept that you don't understand it, but it makes sense to me that I would be eternally growing as a person. I don't know what consciousness happens. I, I can't tell you about heaven. and I don't know. But based on my imagination, I've experienced when a divine idea manifests itself and reveals how loving the universe is, and God specifically, and you're like, wow, where did that come from? That, that's bigger than me. And, and that often comes to me at times through the Eucharist when I'm taking communion because I bring something and I take something back. And uh, I, I understand how people attack what they believe orthodoxy to be and it's in all those kind of things. But my experience, my experience with the ideas of Christian faith have been, there's been, a, there's a beautification to it. I mean, it's, it's a beautiful experience for me. Which allows me, quite frankly, to stay and hang around with evangelicals at times, who often it's a very moralistic, prophylactic thing. You know, sure. like, God wants to protect me from myself. Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't think so.
dark space that pain It's the place where you find the comfort and rain It's a pace where your joy fails to maintain And escapes you devise only nudge toward the gain How does it feel to be real with your spit? How does it feel to be really legit? How does it feel to be chill when you hit? And life doesn't give you a break for a bit I've had a taste, I've tried a few times I've eaten in haste and I've bitten the rind Disgrace is place a plain run at a time Some things I face gave birth to these rhymes How does it feel to run wild and free? How does it feel to be a child of three? How does it feel to be styled a freak? And when you're reviled, does it change what you seek? Life is in emissions, there's no use for a bout Nighttime emissions, no respect to your drought It feels like hell, but I must keep going Some bid farewell, but I can't start showing Gotta keep my face glowing and inside start growing Pushing through the spell till that realm past all knowing Feel it in your gut, feel it in your chest Feel it in the cuts that created all the stress How's it feel? It feels no good How's it feel? I feel misunderstood Unrest expressed when I last confessed Lay it out for my priest about how we transgress I'd like to get this over, like to get myself dressed Together we're alone until they lay us to rest Finding traces of her memories, keep faces and her energy, car spaces and breweries, muse of the century. Remember nearly every single text and love note. Questions perplex the sweet things she wrote. How's it feel? It's unpleasantly reality. How's it feel? Like my present personality is about to crack. I wanna jump in trains, knapsack, review to give her text like it was an almanac. Just wanna come back to fix up all the things, plot to exchange the pain for the joy. Face brings hope, springs eternal, but it's more like a funeral. My heart is in the song, it's my audio right journal. Too. Life is heavy, and like we talked about metaphysics, it's like, come on, it, it, my humanity should be, and this is right now, we are not humbled, quite frankly, by our political situation enough here. Everybody has the answer. I don't know, I mean, these are complex problems. I think the beginning of, of our problems are solving, if indeed we can, it should be like, wow, we are overcome by this. This is, this is way bigger than us right now. Let's just humble ourselves. Because then you begin to listen differently. Yeah. 
I've noticed that in New Adam. I, 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 I've learned to listen differently, like without prejudice. Yeah. Like, okay, tell me what you think. And when I'm, you're saying it, I really am as best as I can, not 100%, but I'm trying yeah. to listen like, huh, so you think this. Hmm, let me ponder that for a second. Well, could you unpack that? Kind of like we did with that guy today when they had that, just those 20 minutes of questions and he went, he went there. Yeah. to things that he had not asked himself before. Yeah. Um, and I, I think, ironically, the answers that we need right now in our in, say, American first world culture yeah. is because we're not asking the right questions. And, and, and we're so distracted by the sideshow. Yeah. They, they really should just be sideshows. They should be. Um, or TV shows. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, as of right now, the, the whole damn thing is reality TV, unfortunately. And, and I think that that shows you that our dark side, we all want to be a star. And it's getting to a point where that is so prevalent. I mean, I think a degree of, this is probably why I, I, I enjoy the Greek uh, Orthodox tradition and yeah. from afar. I'm not like you are. But, I mean, if you were to say, name me the top five Greek priests in the U.S. <laughs> mm, mm. Right, it's right. Like, it, it's, not like, it's not like a thing you enter into if you really are looking for fame and money or yeah, whatever. Yeah, uh, but when you have like the options of your own TV show and your own big mega right. church, it's like, eh, it might bring out the worst in you. at me sure <laughs> do you have a favorite taco or a taco style or I wouldn't say I have a favorite taco style it's been some time I used to live in LA and you know ask me a few years ago I probably wouldn't been able to tell you but um, I don't definitely like soft tacos I mean I don't like the fake tacos that you buy it you know, so when you and we live in north of Elgin which is primarily a Hispanic culture okay. so I know the difference between the real stuff you know, yeah, and, yeah. and whatever. So, uh, but I wouldn't say I'm a, you know, an aficionado of tacos like you are. Beards. Have you ever tried to grow a beard? My wife. Yeah, this is what happens. She's just like, uh-uh, not gonna happen. So, <clears throat> I mean, I, I'll show you an old picture. I, I, I'll, I'll send. If you ever go to my Facebook site, I mean, I did have that kind of Almond Brothers mutton chop thing going okay. for a while with real long hair. Yeah. So. <clears throat> but those were in my earlier days of, of uh, 
the older you get, the, I mean, I actually at my age, I mean, I'm amazed that I still have hair, and, and most of it is still this color. <laughs> yeah. But uh, it, it is right. it is sad when you see somebody my age try to relive their Grateful Dead era. <laughs> you know, they don't go there. You know, but anyway. So no beards. All right. Do you have a podcast or a book you've listened to or, or read recently that might be of interest to, um, that could be any audience, but something that might be broad interest, maybe even beyond a religious audience, something that's impactful or helpful? I mean, the religious audience would be anything by Richard Rohr. I've I, I really um, yeah. appreciated it. I know an author, um, anything by Sam Keen. One of his famous books is Fire in the Belly. Um, but he has, um, uh, he has a book called The Apology of Wonder. Because I've really started to understand that what we lack is an apologetics of beauty. I mean, we don't really have um, a way of articulating the depth and breadth of beauty in our, in our world. And Sam Keen is a, you know, he's a Harvard grad, uh, men's movement guy. So, uh, Apology of, of Wonder, uh, To a Dancing God, that's another book that I think is, is really, and then Fire in the Belly. Put those on And I'll put those in the show notes as well. That sounds really good. And I, I second your endorsement for work. I probably haven't read him as thoroughly as you have, but I have several of his books. Of course, my favorite is Everything Belongs. Yeah, that's, that is one of mine. He's a good syncretist. You know, he's not for everybody. Uh, he, you know, he's Catholic, which I don't mean that in a pejorative sense, but but he is a good syncretizer because he understands evangel- he understands the broad-based Christian expression yeah. enough to show continuity and similarity. And I think we need people who are bringing people together, not separating them. That's just my opinion. But well, I'll tell you, every time I read him, I usually pull my phone out, open up an app that allows me to schedule tweets because I want to just tweet everything I read. I just want to quote them and quote them and quote them, but I don't want to blast a hundred quotes at once. So I'll schedule them to filter out over the next week. So like, if you were to ever look at an archive of my, of my Twitter feeds, like every couple of years, it's just dozens of Richard Rohr quotes. Um, where can people find you on social media? Uh, Dave Bunker on you know Facebook. I, I do post a lot of articles in the notes section. So if you go to Dave Bunker Notes, um, that's and, and I'm pretty consistent about it. Uh, I am trying to what I would call normalize po- poetry. You know, if it works for you, that's fine. If it doesn't, but a lot of this men's stuff, I I make poetry out of the process. The process of of uh, you know inner workings of the soul as I see it and stuff. So the, the poetry is around. Of that, how esoteric it is, I don't know. I mean, like I said, I, I don't. Yeah. I mean, I, I, it's so weird. Like when somebody, I can tell, doesn't like my poetry. I can honestly say I don't really care, you know, because I do it as a total catharsis for my own spirituality. I don't, I don't view it. But I do have people tell me I need to publish more, and and all. I actually have a couple publishers that are interested, and I'm gonna, I'm doing more poetry readings, which is a kick. Yeah. Because it, you do it in public and it's not right. not at a Christian place. Sure. And so I'll present mine and then it'll be followed up by a sex poem by somebody else. Right. <laughs> this is so funny. I, yeah. Funny in the sense that I'm like, oh, I don't know if yeah. I talked about that, but okay, that's okay. Yeah. <laughs> it's just the setting is, I love it. Yeah, that's pretty good. What, what kinds of places do you do, you do those at? 
uh, coffee houses or poetry readings, poetry slams, and and uh, you know I have a couple friends that that's what they do for a living. I mean, they actually read poetry. Not much of a living, but <laughs> but uh, so they've kind of come on with me, you know. And I'll, I'll do it a couple times and realize which ones work, which poems work. Not long poems don't, and that. Uh, I enjoy it because it's kind of like a, a public display of, you know, the open square. Yeah. Let's say whatever you want to say. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I hear people say, oh, you know, we're living in a time of great, um, what's the word, uh, you know, when you, uh, where speech is inhibited. Um, anyway, I'm like, yeah. I think we're at a time where people can say a lot of anything they want to say. Ven- venues for all, but right. you just need to find the right audience. Yeah. So my, my socials are, um, I'm going to just focus on Royal Ruckus, at Royal Ruckus Official or at Royal Ruckus, depending on the venue. You'll have to figure out which is which. Um, for more info on Samson Society, I believe it's samsonsociety.org, uh, S-A-M-S-O-N, there's no And uh, what's the new Adam recently? Do you know? I don't know. I know there is one. I'll put that in the show notes. I'll Google it later. Um, actually... I have a card in my pocket. Newadamweekend.com. So, so there, to uh, get involved with New Adam, there is a uh, weekend retreat, orientation, whatever you want to call it. Um, and I've never been to one, but I've heard they are life changing. Uh, I think I filled out the application for one, but I don't think I've returned it in. Uh huh. <laughs> but newadamweekend.com, if you want to find out any information on that. And the very last thing that we do here is uh, I always like to close out with someone's favorite rap song of all time. Uh, this may be cheesy and, and whatever, but I actually, I mean, I've heard some cuts on of the, the new Eminem. Okay. And I actually, uh, although there's a side of him that is great on me really significantly, sure. there's another side of me that feels, um, you know, like I would prefer him over Jay Z, say for example, okay. uh, just because I think he he he, he writes. He's a great storyteller. And he writes out of his yeah. narrative. Uh, I don't always agree with sure. where his narrative comes from, but I, I I don't. It's not like I go. I wonder what that song is about. Right. <laughs> and there are times when sometimes I, I'm not all that adept at a ton of critiquing that genre, but I'm like, what is that about? Yeah. And I, I like. I, I would say I like more of this story. Um, telling um yeah i mean he's he's incredible i've been arguing for a couple of years now that i think he has unlocked greatest rapper of all time status and i don't mean that based on the body of his work i mean that on the current status of his skills now i i think he's done amazing stuff throughout his career some of it makes me tired and not terribly interested but it's really clearly skillful but with uh, his last record, I mean, some of the stuff he did on there, I've, I've argued, just sets him above anything else anybody's ever done. Yeah. I'm beginning to feel like a rap god, rap god. All my people from the front to the back, nah, back, nah. Now, who thinks that arms are long enough to slap box, slap box? Let me show you maintaining this shit ain't that hard, that hard. Everybody wants the key and the secret to rap immortality like I have got. Will there be true for the blueprints? Simply rage and youthful exuberance. Everybody loves the root for a nuisance. Hit the earth like an asteroid, need nothing but shoot for the moon since. Uh, Buckshot LaFont. That would be my favorite band, rapper band. Buckshot LaFont. Okay. Go back. But it's it's a little retro. Okay. It's very retro. I'm okay with that. Uh, but it, it's, 
um, you know, it's got some stuff on, on, I think Buckshot did maybe three albums. Uh, but it, it's, it, it's, it's very different because he comes at it with, from a jazz perspective. Nice. So, so the rap, a lot of the rap are not, your, you know, your typical, whatever that means, you know, just, yeah. uh, Thank you for listening to this episode of Brews, Beards, and Shipwrecks. Uh, I'm Jamie Bennett from Royal Ruckus, and I'm here with Dave Bunker. And we are going to roll out with a Like venom, I 